Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, and this is part one of the 2023 450 Supercross Preview Show. Really, t- really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. This is part one. Unfortunately, the size of the file is a little bit too big to put post all at once. Otherwise, I would have given you guys everything all at once, but uh, we weren't able to pull that off uh, due to the restrictions for my website. But uh, you're going to have the audio cut out uh, kind of mid-conversation. Um, I There wasn't really a good spot to really chop things up that made sense for the podcast. So uh, when the audio runs out, flip it on over to part two if you're enjoying the podcast. And uh, as always, I appreciate you listening. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast brought to you by Fox Racing Canada. Go to the website download the whole catalog and then go to your local dealer get fitted from head to toe you'll be looking good and be safe out there on the track or looking good in the pits as well with fox racing canada also with us is guts racing andy greg over at guts racing fantastic guy you need yourself a greg's ultra trick seats they make the best stuff whether it's seat bases lightweight seat foams or those gripper seat covers that just allow you to stick to the motorcycle you have a little bit more connectivity to that bike so you can manipulate around the track and drop those lap times i am your host brad gebhardt with us on the line we got two very special guests i'll go start off with the champ a east coast regional supercross champ he's been on the big mx radio podcast before twice now he's on for not only a podcast, but YouTube as well. Denny Stevenson. Denny, how's it going? Very good, Brad. Appreciate you having us. Me and Checkers, longtime friends, and uh, looking forward to doing a little preseason uh, review on the 23 Supercross. So. Absolutely. I am so excited to break this wide open. And yeah, you're totally right. We have Chris Riesenberg, otherwise known as Checkers, here on the Big MX Radio podcast. He came without a trace. He came here tonight to get on your case. He's the crush grooving, the body moving, and the record breaking. Checkers, how's it going? Oh, I'm so excited. Thanks for inviting me to be on here. And um, I literally argue with Denny about this stuff every single day, all day. It's yes. one of my favorite things to do, other than actually riding my dirt bike and hanging out with my fiance, probably that's my next favorite thing to do is argue with Denny and prove him wrong. So to be able to do it for everybody can see it is going to be amazing. For sure. And I, th- I feel like I'm sort of like the master puppeteer among all of this, because having the two of you guys on, like no one's going to remember what I have to say about this series. It's going to be all about you two going tooth and nail, like really getting into some of the, the, the analysis and, uh, and arguments that are going to follow um, guys, we have we have a, a 2023 season that I guess we say it every year. It could be the best one yet, but this season has the potential to have some real fireworks. You have some young up and comers coming into the series that are are already established, like Christian Craig. You have the old guard, which is like Eli Tomac, who's just he seems like stronger than ever. And then you've got guys like Chase uh, Chase Sexton who uh, established themselves last year. He got his first win, led a ton of laps, but also showed that he could be a little bit inconsistent on top of that. Um, Like, guys, right off the hop, I think we need to talk about Team Honda. uh, And let's talk about Chase Sexton. Last year, sixth in points. Uh, He got one win. His average finish last year, 5.6. His average start, five. 3.9 checkers i'll let you take the floor right off the hop with chase sexton what are your thoughts on this guy who is really establishing himself as a contender contender every single year well i think the key with chase sexton is 
um, it's the year, it's year three and people talk about it all the time. People catch their groove at year three, it seems like. And Chase is throughout his career has gotten better and better every single year. If you go back to when he turned pro as a rookie and started to improve, and then he won that first Supercross title really because Austin Porkner had problems. And then the second year he dominated that 250 Supercross series and he's continued to improve year after year. I think it's surprising though, on paper that he only won one race last year. Cause I think if you ask people without them really thinking about it, they'll say, Oh, he won a couple or a few races or, or something along those lines. He should have had Minnesota. Yeah, he definitely should have had Minnesota. Um, But mistakes like that have have cost him and he's hit the deck and you can't do that. If you want to win a championship, Um, he had, eight podiums is it last year out of 17 races and only had eight podiums that is not going to get it done for a championship do i think he's going to make a step up i absolutely do but you also got to remember like Ferrandis came in last year oh he came off the outdoor title he's going to kill it the outdoor stuff doesn't necessarily transfer to supercross except for the maturity that chase sexton showed that can transfer over potentially and he does have the speed it's just a wait and see of can he avoid those bad races, avoid those big crashes. If he wants to be a title contender, I have no doubt that he's going to win races. What are your thoughts, Denny? Does, does Chase uh, Sexton take a step forward? Uh, do, is, do you think that he's going to continue to make some of these mistakes? Like, obviously, um, he gels well with the bike outdoors. Last year, it seemed like with Supercross, it would either be flashes of brilliance or he'd be on the deck. Well, I can honestly say that he can't survive another season uh, like he did last year. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen a rider hit the deck as hard as he did in the one practice where he did step on, step off, hit neutral, and just dove through the bars. Um, crashes like that, you're lucky to walk away, let alone not sustain an injury. So for Chase to find some success, he's definitely got to stay off the ground. And just simple crashes like in practice like that, because the body's not going to sustain it. The bike's not going to sustain it. And it's going to beat you up confidence-wise. But like Checker said, he only had eight, eight podiums out of 17 rounds last year. He had 12 top fives, which is pretty solid. But he had 16th in Minnesota when he folded the front wheel. Um, that's another thing. He sends to push that front end like a broom. You know, I don't know why he trusts that thing so much. It's a lot, a lot like Davos does or has done in the past, a lot like R.J. Hampshire does. Um, he needs to stay off that front end and let it just kind of roll a little bit more instead of trying to push it so hard. Um, that 16th in Minnesota. Then he had the DNF 22nd Detroit. He missed Seattle. So I think he can do it. I think he's got the full capability. He's learned a lot. Um, I think that does a bit of confidence come, comes through from uh, outdoors last year, uh, winning the, the nations, the pressure's on him. You know, he's no longer the second guy. He's the number one guy on the 450, at least till jet, maybe in the outdoors. But I personally think Chase is going to be one of the top three guys and uh, he's going to get more wins. I'm, I'm thinking around five wins. And I think I got him probably around second in the series. So uh, I'm expecting big things for Chase in his third year, as Checker said. I think you just hit a lot of great points there. And like for me, Chase Sexton has proven himself as a contender in this class. I think there's a lot of uh, confidence that could be gained by racing an entire outdoor series, basically like a table set for two with him and uh, Eli Tomac. And, and the fact that he's really established himself as someone who who belongs in the 450 class, not totally unlike a guy like um, 
Ricky Carmichael, not comparing him to Ricky Carmichael in any way as far as like what he'll do in the sport, but Ricky's first year on a, on a 252 stroke, horrible season, number nine on a Kawasaki, always on the ground. Second year, he gets that one win at Daytona and then look out the, the 2001 series came by and I'm not, I'm not saying uh, he's he's about to rip off 13 wins, but it puts him in a much better like mental position to say, yes, I belong with these guys. I can race with these guys and I can move forward. And Denny, the one thing you did forget about mentioning when you were talking about his 2022 season is that he was in the lead at Anaheim one before he fold, folded the, the front end there and, and gave the, the win to, to Kenny. So honestly, I, he, he easily could have probably had three or four wins last year. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's just, he's just got to get over the hump, you know, as he did in the outdoors this last year, um, you know, it was forging steel on steel with those two, the outdoor season, Eli and, and Chase. And I think that that kind of having to ride a perfect race. I mean, Checkers, I sat next to each other at Millville and watched that second moto and the way they just pushed each other, they were running, you know, 110%, you know, for 35, 30 plus two laps. Um, I think that that can carry over into knowing how to not push the bike or push yourself too far. Um, and I think that'll transform in the outdoors or into the supercross season a little bit more than I think it did for Dylan. And plus he starts up front, you know, the question we've had with Ferrandez guy can't get starts. Chase likes to get up front early. And uh, I think if the starts are good, continue to be good. Like, again, I think we can see about five wins out of Chase come 2023. Fair enough. Last thing I'll say about uh, Chase Sexton and checkers, I'll let you chime in on this is last year. It was well known that he uh, in Supercross, both he and Kenny battled set up as far as uh, really feeling confident on their bike, whether they're able to like, like Danny said, be confident in that front wheel. Um, if things roll off, say the first four or five races and um, like, he's not getting along with the bike, things are not going his way. Um, like, how how devastating can that be to his overall championship if he doesn't really feel 100% confident in the motorcycle uh, and just comfortable being able to go as fast as he can, knowing the fact that like there's a possibility in 2024 he changes colors? Well, I think the big thing there is for him to realize if the motorcycle is not completely where it needs to be, to take a second or a third and not try to push it and put yourself on the ground chasing your bike, which I think he either figured the bike out or figured that out at the end of last year, because his last five or six races were very, very strong. They were all in the top five. Um, and most of them were podiums. So he really put it at the end of the season together. Well, I heard that he switched shocks and using the BFRC shock that he was using outdoors That's right. for supercross, which there's not a ton of data on that thing in supercross. In fact, I remember all the way back to um, when Hanny had his team and we worked with Matt Bashelia and we took the thing to supercross and this uh, show engineers were on the, at the Suzuki track and they were blown away that we were running the thing in supercross and actually making it work because they had been told that you can't make the thing work in supercross. Um, Chase talked about it somewhere. I was watching an interview and, and he said he's, he's happy with it and it works in supercross. And if that's the case, that's awesome. But he also doesn't have a ton of data on that. So, you know, if he's in a spot where at Anaheim one, he's having issues, they don't necessarily have a ton of data from, okay, last year we did this to fix the problem um in supercross so that will be super interesting but i think here's the thing you can ride through that and get a you know get a third or fourth place finish it's okay it doesn't ruin your season but if he tries to ride through it and puts himself on the ground that's how you lose your championship certainly and then on top of that i think that uh one thing that chase definitely has a feather in his cap is that he's a pretty good starter what were you going to say there uh, denny 
Oh, I was just going to say, he, you know, he like Checkers brought to attention. He he did finish top five in the last top four in the last five rounds. Um, top four in the last out of the last seven rounds. He had that one DNF or didn't race Seattle. So he did finish Supercross season strong. Um, and I think, again, he, he got the bike set up pretty similar to the way he wanted it and ended it on, on a good note. And I think mentally, the last time he rode Supercross, you know, he finished top five, top four. And I think that confidence will roll into this coming season as well, in Anaheim as well, and get up front and uh, maybe avoid those last, last towards the end of the race mistakes. Go ahead, checkers. Yeah, and then, I mean, you mentioned uh, that it's pretty well known that he's leaving on after the, the end of this season, or it's very strongly rumored. And the worst thing that can happen for Honda is for him to have a terrible year, move on over to KTM and do extremely well. The best don't thing pull, that can happen and the, and the best thing, yeah, and the best thing that can happen to Honda is he wins the championship for them and does extremely well and then goes over there and struggles. So the team's going to be all in. Chase wants to do well. He's not going to, you know, he's not just going to throw a year away. Um, but if things are going poorly, it could definitely put some more stress on that relationship for sure. Um, and maybe he does throw in the towel a little bit if it's if it's not going well. But I don't see the Honda guys treating him any differently, and I see them working very hard to make sure he has all the tools that he can to go win races. Fair enough. What about uh, Chase's running mate? Um, I'm talking about a smooth operator in Colt Nichols. I was really, I'm a huge fan of this signing. Uh, Colt is a great guy. He, uh, last time he was on Hondas was with the um, uh, Crossland Honda team during his rookie season. I believe he did a knee injury that particular year, but uh, did spend some time on Hondas uh, after his amateur career, which he was, uh, grew up on Kawasaki's in through the, the Team Green program. Um, he looks good on the bike. Um, like he's, he's, he's a good rider. He's a fast rider. He's a former champion in the 250 class. Um, obviously last year was about as ugly as it could possibly be as far as him being off the bike. Um, so I think that might be one thing that sort of, um, sort of hurts Colt in in his ability to continue moving forward and and really make this like a a great rookie campaign kind of sounds like he's going to only have sort of like a. Uh, one year to sort of prove himself on this machine, uh, which does add pressure, but that might also bring out the best. And what are your thoughts, Checkers? Well, I mean, the pressure's on. And normally I would say that that's a terrible thing, but I don't think there's a ton of expectation on him either. So it allows him to not necessarily have to feel the pressure. You know, he's coming in as an underdog under the radar. The biggest thing with Colt Nichols, I don't think it's talent or speed or any of that. It's, it's literally, can he stay healthy? And, yep. you know, Honda slotted him in is they want to put the bike in the main event. And I'm guessing they want to put it in the top 10 for him. He needs to make a statement because he, he has a supercross only deal. It's a great opportunity he has great resources around him. I've seen it's been really, really quiet in the off season, which tells me that Honda has him working and focused and that's, he's doing his job. I expect him to come in and be very fit. Um, I don't expect him to light the world on fire with speed but I think he'll be in the mix speed wise. And I think we actually see some really good consistent results out of Colt Nichols and he might be a little bit invisible, which actually probably isn't the best thing for him. I think that in order for him to secure a ride moving forward, he has to show some blazing speed and, and some flashes of brilliance and run up front. And I don't necessarily see that happening. Um, And I think if he tries to do that, he's going to end up on the ground and on the sidelines, which then what's Honda do, you know, then they're sitting without a, without a rider under their truck. And so I'm sure they're pushing him not to do that. And it'll be interesting to see if he can hold back. 
I mean, he's already been getting hurt on the 250. He did seize his opportunity with Star and finally wrapped up and put a championship there. But I mean, that was a long time coming. Like I said, there's yeah. been a lot of injuries and it'll be interesting to see what he can do. He's probably the one guy that I don't have a ton of inkling on. He could get sixth place and it wouldn't surprise me. He could get 14th, 15th in the series and it wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Debo? Honestly, like I could see Colt getting a lot of really quiet eights. Yeah, no, I agree with checkers almost verbatim, you know, and, but I think also that if anybody can come in under the radar, somebody who's been through so much hell, so much shit, so much adversity, it's cold. You know, I mean, he's he hasn't got I mean, if you tracked his uh, trajectory to when he won uh, the championship, I mean, it's unlike any other rider really in the sport that's ever found success. You know, he's found he's raced arena cross. He's he's rode for privateer teams. Um, he's had multiple different weird strange opportunities and he's always made the best of them um despite getting injured he's kept his head on his shoulders kept positive you know i know he works a lot down in oklahoma with uh, renard and stuff in the past so now he's got this opportunity with honda i think again like checker said he could run six i wouldn't be and he needs to get himself up front get a whole shot one of these main events and just run her see how long he can go and um I think that would give us a better idea of him just kind of like checkers again said, running invisible, running that mid pack, um, making up the kind of making those last main event, last lap passes that get you into the top 10 or guys crash or something like that. He has to show some blazing speed when a heat race, maybe something like that um, to really kind of put himself on the map for a 2024 factory ride. Because I think if he this is a great opportunity, but if it doesn't really work out, it, it could go the opposite way for, for Colt and it could go, poorly to where he won't even be on the radar so i'm hope i'm rooting for him again as somebody who's put it uh gone through so much adversity like he has with injuries and self-doubt i know that comes with injuries so i'm pumped for him i look for him to do well and, and i wish the best for him certainly and and colt is is that guy who has a, a next level skill set that he's shown speed and the ability to come back and get up to speed Every single time he comes back, not totally unlike his uh, fellow, fellow Oklahoman in uh, Trey Kennard. And um, one of the things that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, and, and honestly, he probably gets along great with Trey, the fact that they both work for Honda now. The one thing also that Colt has, uh, like sort of the feather in his, in his cap, is the fact that that guy has an innate ability to pull the hottest women in the sport of motocross. Like his roster is absolutely unbelievable like he's like well, let's be honest if his bracing career doesn't work out his modeling career would, would work out 100 well, so. absolutely he'll still be in the catalog <laughs> yeah exactly you can still go to G gq and do some underwear ads <laughs> fair enough you guys think uh, if, if he comes through with a solid season is is there a chance for him to stay at honda i mean we know that we know that chase is on his way out and, and jet's taking that spot and I mean, I think there's a chance for him to stay at Honda if he just puts in a solid season and, and kind of plays the game that they want him to play. And he could be the number two guy right beside Jet. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Yeah, I kind of see him as like a like an Ivan Tedesco light, um, being able to like win some heat races right up front. If he gets good starts, he could be a, a great five through eight guy who 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 shows some flash and, and is consistent. And honestly, there's value in that, it, like for, for a team, especially like Honda, uh, who they're, they're always going to have their sort of like, quote unquote, front runner. Um, and yeah, they've 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 been known to sort of like keep a guy along 
uh, in that spot who who can just put in consistent rides. And if he can, if he's able to do that, I think that sets him up for a lot of success. Absolutely. There's, there's no, we've talked on our text thread, Chuck and I and his brother and everybody, there, there's no shame in being a, the B guy on the team. I mean, there's only so many guys you're going to hire that can win championships. So many guys you can hire that can win races, but you still want guys that are going to be out front, represent the brand well. And I think Cole will do that. And, and I forgot his relationship with Trey, you know, Trey being one of the number one guy there at testing their longtime relationship. I think if anyone can get the best out of Colt, it could be Trey. Yeah. That was a great point. I, I didn't consider that. So um, again, I think the uh, more we talk, I, I'm, I'm, I've gotten even higher on him already just from this conversation. So good things for him. Well, that's what we do here is we change people's minds. And honestly, I'm still waiting for you guys to disagree on something. I was promised fireworks and everything else in between. Yeah, that's, that's very true as well. Uh, and that, that might come across once we switch things over to the green machines um, with Jason Anderson and Adam Seen's role. Let's talk about JA21 right off the hop. Um, the guy who won seven races last year seemed like a complete career renaissance when everyone counts this guy out. He's like, he doesn't train enough. He doesn't take it seriously. Uh, team fried this team fried that, um, you don't ride that consistently that fast without being in shape. You know, the guy puts in the time, you know, the guy is, is locked in. And honestly, I think he's just got, he is a great uh, approach to like of, of all the f- the factory guys, I think he might be the only one who isn't a complete complete head case. Like, there's not a single racer out there that isn't a little bit upstairs. Like, you guys know what I mean. But Jason Anderson, like he's he's like Teflon. Nothing sticks to that guy. He's got the shortest memory in professional motocross. He could have the worst heat race of his life, still come out lead laps, ride like he you know we can, like untucked jersey the whole nine yards. Uh, I really like what I'm seeing from Jason Anderson and I expect him to maybe not seven wins this year, but he's, he's going to be there every single weekend. What do you think Debo? Yeah. His, uh, his podium interviews are, are always classic. You know, he just, he's having a, the time of his life. Um, as far as being mental a little bit, you know, I think now that he's married, he's out of California, he's down in New Mexico. Uh, he has a good, uh, good people around him. Good confidence wise. I think he's, he's not, worrying about what's going on outside of motocross. I think motocross supercross is hundred percent focus right now, which can be difficult sometimes. Um, I, you know, I think we've all heard the same interviews uh, from the Kawasaki guys discussing his work ethic. You know, he's there from sun up to sundown and, and, and insisting the team, let's just keep working. You know, if as long as the team's working, I've heard great things about him from Ivan Tedesco talked with him at Millville. Uh, I think I just call saw a Dean Wilson clip on that gypsy podcast where even Dean was saying, I've never, I've learned so much from, from Jason, you know, to t- his years at Husky, the way he tests and uh, his, his passion and his, his willingness to, to stay late, work hard on the motorcycle, which is obviously key right now. Jason seems to know what he likes. He seems to have a great relationship with Brock Tickle, uh, with Brock helping develop the bike there in Kawasaki. And again, seven wins. He had that big crash at Detroit where he pulled off and then he reeled off, what, four victories there at the end of the season. I, I think Jason is in a good spot, good place. The Cowie, he loves the bike. I you know, got away from that Husky. He did great at Husky, but the Kawasaki, man, I, I really didn't expect that from him. It came out of left field for me as a fan and, and just kind of been studying the riders. Um, but again, I thought maybe with him coming to this year with more attention being focused on him, that might weigh on him. But with the whole Kenny debacle and the whole World Supercross and the Paris and Eli winning over there, I, there's no, I haven't heard anything about Jason. 
you know, El Hombre. I think he, him flying under the radar again is the best thing that could be happen for his, his psych, his, uh, his attention, his focus. I think he's going to come out swinging at A1 as hard as anybody. What do you think, Jaggers? Well, I mean, definitely Jason Anderson likes to ride his dirt bike more than probably anyone else in the field. And that's a huge advantage at that level, you know, like to not be burnt out and, and want to ride. And if you look back at his 450 career, other than after Bobby Hewitt got let go from Husky, he's had pretty dang good results, maybe better than you expect. Um, not just his championship year in 2018. Um, he was a contender on the podium and winning races. And honestly, if you look back at last year, he eliminates the mistakes and Eli's in huge trouble for hurting his knee at the end of the season. And we very well would be looking at a different champion. So hopefully he's matured and learned from his mistakes to not make those, not get into some of those drama moments that sucked him in. And no one's going to attack harder. No one has better racecraft, in my opinion, than Jason Anderson. He knows how to go forward. He knows how to make passes. Um, I said, if he eliminates those mistakes and comes in a year two with a Cowie team that it kind of looks from the outside, very similar to how he was with Bobby Hewitt. They, he seems to just gel there. It's like a family to him. And that's when he does his best work is when he's happy and comfortable. I think Denny nailed it when he said he's under the radar a little bit. You know, the after his championship year, it really held him back. I know he absolutely hated all the media attention and stuff he had to do. It didn't work for him. He wants to go ride his dirt bike, focus on that, do his job. And I think he's going to be able to do that because of all the other stuff going on, all the other storylines. And again, I think he learned from it to stay a little bit more under the radar, come in and do his job. I think to get seven wins again, would be gnarly in this field, but you have to think he made a step forward. He's another year on the bike, another year more comfortable with the team. And he didn't have to go through a big change like Eli Tomac on a brand new bike. You know, this is something that he knows well, and he's only going to make progress. I think that I'm, I'm a huge Jason Anderson fan. So I'm try, almost trying to be non-biased and talk myself out of him being one of the absolute title favorites um, and to put him right in the mix. And but man, it's hard not to like, Hey, you tied Eli on wins last year. So is he a title favorite? Well, the well, biggest thing is thought, him, and Mal- is him and Malcolm need to come to a truce before the season even starts. Need to oh yeah. Shake hands, sign type, some type of agreement, you know, that, that it, it, cause both of their, their, uh, I don't want to say stupidity, but their passion for, for wanting to kill one another, it definitely affected both their seasons dramatically. Um, you can sure. count what a handful, four or five times, nearly three to five times where these two took each other out and it changed everything. It changed the course of both their seasons and to, to, to get, to want to win a championship, you got to fly under the radar each and every race. Like, just like uh, Jay, uh, more like Eli does. Eli has no enemies, you know, nobody's going to mess with him. Um, when Jason and, and Malcolm beat on each other and, and, and Barsha, obviously there's just sparks to fly. And as a fan, I think it's outstanding. I have no problem with anything at all, but if you're going to want to win a championship, you got to squash those, uh, those beefs when, before the season even starts and avoid bringing them back up. Because if you got, if you got to worry about like Malcolm or, or Barsha behind you or get around them, you're, you're not going to survive 17 rounds and, 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 you know, 20, lap, 20 minutes plus one lap. So for me that I, I completely kind of forgot about that. That's the biggest thing for Jason. He needs to avoid those situations at all costs. Hundred percent. I think if you can do your best impression of uh, Ryan Dungey and and make sure that that no one you're not on anybody's shit list and you're just getting stuff done weekend and weekend out, uh, you put yourself in a good position to be successful weekend uh, every single season. 
the one thing that I think that Jason Anderson has really mastered is that the art of scarcity. Like there aren't too many people who know much about his program as far as his training. Like they, they don't see him. He's like, like, no one has a book on him. And I think that is what sort of strikes fear into the rest of his competitors. In fact, I, I sort of see when he gets in behind uh, Eli Tomac, I think Jason Anderson might be the only person who can kind of make Eli squirm a little bit. And that is a very powerful uh, position to be in rolling into a season where Eli coming off of obviously an extremely successful season, but also a new motorcycle, a new motorcycle that probably doesn't have all the different trick parts on it that he needs to have. Or maybe they're a little bit behind on stuff like that. Regardless, even if it's an improved motorcycle, it's still an adjustment. And I, I think that's uh, that like as far as the, they tied on wins last year. I think that makes advantage Anderson. Jason's ability to just get behind guys and strike so fast when he makes passes, catch them. Just off ask guard. Cole Seeley. Absolutely. Cole had to happen a ton. And I mean, he's just so explosive. And I think that's where he's able to get guys super uneasy. And because they not only know that he's going to pass them quickly, but he's not scared to rub plastics and make contact. He's one of the best at it. And yeah, it's going to make them uncomfortable because Eli wants to avoid those situations at all costs because he would rather take a second than get knocked down. Yeah, it, it, the, that old theory of, uh, you know, you, to catch a guy is one thing, to pass a guy is another, or getting stuck behind a guy and getting stuck in their pace. You know, great example checkers. Jason is definitely one of those guys that can make up three seconds, two laps, and all of a sudden pass you and be gone past you. And you are and there's, you can see him on TV almost baffled. How, like, where did you catch that? Where did he catch me? And how the hell did he just pass me and, and got me by a half, you know, three bike lengths that quickly. So he like, again, goes back to what Brad said that he, he, Jason is so good. He has no memory of what he did the lap before. If, if he did something bad, he can just overcome it. If he messed up in a section of whoops or something, boom, the next lap, he, he hits them hundred percent. Like he didn't have a problem with them. And uh, that, that was a great example. I think that's a huge, huge spot for Jason is he doesn't, he doesn't worry about yesterday or the lap before it's, it's every, every day is tomorrow and every lap's a, a new lap. For certain. And I think one of the thing, one of the, the, my greatest memories of Jason is maybe my favorite win of his, which happened to be in Oakland, 2017, I believe. Uh, I think it was either 17 or 18 in Oakland when the track was absolute decimated. It was bomb holes everywhere. And the only person who wasn't having issues with every single section of that track was Jason Anderson. I think he came from the back that night and was able to get the win. Uh, when Kenny on the, on the last yeah. lap, I think. Yeah. yeah. That was gnarly. Yeah. And, and when, how about Salt Lake city or was that the round when he got that flat tire and uh, he had to stop and change a wheel. You know, a lot of riders would have panicked, pulled the trick, you know, pulled the panic shoot uh, parachute. And he, he didn't even phase him, you know, came back nah, and, and he, got that title. He's but, got but, ice yeah, in his veins. Having, having a, having a title from 2018, it's now 2023. That's a huge gap. I mean, have we even yeah. seen another rider come from a title to being a title contender four to five, six years later? I mean, this is unrivaled, I believe. The only other guy who's done something like that is Ryan Dungey, who won the 2010 title as a rookie, then had some like four helpings of humble pie uh, served up by uh, Ryan Villapoto for four years and then came back 2015, 2016 and 17, won those titles. Uh, but other than that, basically unheard of. Same thing with, I guess, Chad Reed winning in 04 and then coming back and winning the 2008 outdoor uh, Supercross title. So that was four years between. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't happen very often. Very good. Well, 
We've got what two about, big uh, contenders already out of, out of the way, out of the bat. Sexton and Anderson. I mean, I, I think it's going to come yeah. down to at least those two. Uh, you know, if not uh, the one down, down the list a little further on the blue bike. For certain. And like, the, But honestly, there's another guy on a Kawasaki who he has potential in his own right. Like, Lord knows where he's at as far as his confidence and where he's at with his career. Um, if you asked us here, if we were sitting here in 2013 rolling into Supercross, we, everyone would have been talking about watch out for Adam C. and Cerullo. A lot of time has passed since then. A lot of injuries, a lot of inconsistency. And honestly, like I, I can't fault the guy for being a little bit down in the dumps about things because he was supposed to be the next guy. And yeah, he's got an outdoor title, but wasn't able to wrap up a Supercross title. I don't think that's got to still sting a, a little bit here and there. Um, checkers, what do you expect from Adam Cianciarolo in 2023? Um, like, honestly, it could be everywhere on the spectrum. He could be, uh, he could lead laps. He could be a, his, his overall, his average finish last year with an injury was an 11th. Um, honestly, I don't know what to expect from him at all. Well, I mean, I think one thing I think you can expect is there's no way in heck he should be down in the dumps. He has a two-year contract after having a bunch of disastrous years. I don't know yeah. what the heck Kawasaki's thinking, giving him a two-year deal. Do I think it makes sense that, okay, we want to work with him another year. We want to give him a chance because there is some potential there. There's We've seen the speed, and they always say we can work with speed, right? Um, but, again, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing, and I listened to an interview where he's still dealing with numbness in his hands, which is what he came into last year with. and Luckily, this time he's had a little bit of training and stuff because last year he was coming in completely not even been on the bike and he would get good starts, which is a huge plus for him. He's going to start up front. He can do one lap with some speed, but he was riding around and just gradually going backwards. And the problem with that is trying to ride to not get hurt and not instead of trying to race forward. It never works out. In fact, that's usually when you get hurt. And I think it's really tough for him to come in with a, without a mentality like that, not at 100% and perform. I I would love nothing more than to see Adam Sansarillo rattle off some podiums and be a contender and be the guy that we know that he can be or at least have the potential to be. I just – history shows that it's, it's really difficult for him. And with he's coming in – He's coming in under the radar, not under the radar, under under prepared because he's not not healthy. Yeah, he's just not being healthy. It's it's terrible. It sucks. Like if he was coming in healthy, I already have a bet ready to be made that he would podium a race. No problem. I would make that bet. Oh, for sure. Before Daytona, the first half of the year, but he's coming in unhealthy. I can't make that bet. I can't. There's just too many question marks there, and. I don't see it getting better going through the season. So I unfortunately think it's, it's not looking good and it wouldn't surprise me before the halfway point of the season that we see another rider, maybe Joey Savacci again, riding that motorcycle under the tent. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's very true. And we've discussed Adam a lot on our text thread with, with a lot of uh, uncertainty of what his career has been, has been up to this point. He's had a lot of, uh, a lot of highs and a lot of lows and, but recently a lot of lows and, and you can just hear it in his voice when he, when he speaks about his racing, you know, he just that little blip commercial that they have uh, for monster where he's talking about 
how many times he's been been under and uh, gone into surgery in the last you know 18 months and he flat out says in his commercial like you know i don't want to be not go under anymore you know i don't want to be to have any more surgeries and and then I, I haven't listened to his latest interview, but he, I guess a lot of people said he was also kind of, he just kind of sensed it in his voice. And, you know, motocross is, uh, is obviously one of the gnarliest things in the history of the, in the world. <laughs> and you certainly cannot come to any, into it, entering it with any kind of self-doubt, any questions. Again, like Checker said, riding not to get hurt. That is just, that's just a recipe for disaster. So for even Adam to tell Weege at the uh, 23's, you know, press conference that, you know, kind of divulged that he still has numbness in his hand. It's almost as though he's setting himself up for, again. Yeah, he's letting everybody know this might not go well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is exactly it. And if you're coming with already a defeated attitude, man, that's, that is not going to, that's not going to go bode well for yourself. And, and that's a shame because Adam is a great rider and he can lay down some fast laps. And he, uh, you know, I was looking at his results, his career results here. You know, he, except for last season, you know, when he was just Milton Supercross because he was hurt, he's, he's, he lines up, he's guaranteed a top five, top 10 finish. I mean, all of his results are single digits. Rarely yep. is he ever running back in the pack. If he's healthy, he's running up, up top five, no problem. You know, whether it be an outdoor, whether it be Supercross. But again, if he's coming in already at 85%, 8% and can't hold on, coming in with a bum knee was as bad enough bum ankle but you know i rode with a bad wrist for 18 months a year and a half and uh if you can't hold on there's nothing really you can do about it you can't help yourself you got to slow down uh, or, or risk crashing and then crashing just adds on to your your lack of confidence and, and what else is ailing you because you know this day and age you're jumping half these 450s you're jumping so big so far you're going so fast through the whoops a simple crash can be quite devastating so uh, i'm hoping the best for adam but uh, again, like checkers, I wouldn't be surprised to see round round five, six, seven, eight that uh, maybe Joey's on that green bike. Yeah, honestly, like like the one thing you can't do in professional motocross is ride to not get hurt. Like it sounds kind of crazy, but you like got to think of it. He has like to to be truly successful, you have to say, yeah, I've been under the knife twenty five times. I'd be willing to go under another twenty five times because like there there's there's you can't hold back. It has to be 100% because guess what? The rest of the guys who are also within 1% of you are all going 100%. They're, and they're not going to hold back. Uh, Anderson's not going to hold back. Eli's not going to hold back. Neither is Chase. So if you're if we're dealing with 95% of Adam Cincerolo, it, that's unfortunately, that's not going to be enough. No. What do you think, Jack? That puts in 10th. Yeah. Yeah. The field's just too deep for that. And, and I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Like I said, it would, nothing would be better than to have him leading the sport, uh, you know, at, at a very high level. He's such a good role model, such a good speaker. Like he, 100%. he checks all of those boxes and, and people want him to do well. They really do. It just, it's, I'm trying to be realistic and, and I've been let down a lot of times, you know, I've held out hope that it's going to happen. And, you know, in his 250 career, it, it started off great and then it went extremely poorly. Actually, it started poorly when he went outdoors, but when he started Supercross, it was really, really good. And then it went poorly and it took a long time for him to build, but he did figure it out. He did almost get it done, but I mean, he was, he was the guy, you know, and then he figured out to the outdoors and I hope that that happens, but I, history says that it's, it's pretty difficult. You know, you start to get further and further behind and it's harder and harder to make up that ground. And the fact is, is yes, he has a lot of talent, 
the talent alone isn't going to get it done. Certainly. No, I think he's, he's going to, he's, he's going to be up against it this year. And unless he can find some confidence, honestly, the best thing that Adam Cicerello can do in the first round is if he, if like can capture lightning and, and, and grab a win, then that might put some wind back into his sails to be like, you know what? I am back. I can continue moving forward. Uh, but if he comes out and has a, like, I think maybe nobody more needs a good Anaheim one than Adam Cincerullo. Or Ken. <laughs> or Ken. Wow. We'll get to him. We'll get to um, him but, yeah. but yeah, no, it, it is. And it, it's anything like anything in life, you know, the, the better you can start out, it's, it, it puts you, uh, it gets a confidence roll and it's a snowball effect. You know, it's, it's much easier to roll downhill than it is to roll uphill, you know, to start the season 10th, not feeling good, not happy about the bike. Um, but guys have done it and they've overcome it and come back to win. But for Adam, most definitely it's the best thing for him would be to get a solid finish, have confidence in his hand, get, get to that. He first heat race really well. Um, and, and lead some laps as, as he's done, he's a great starter. Um, but you know, when he starts gets lap eight, or so when it's maybe his hand goes start weak or whatever starts to alien or uh, if he hasn't been training and then these guys start passing you and you're just, now you're just looking over your shoulder, like who's coming next. Um, and that, that's really tough to overcome. And, but um, as of right now, I, I, I think Adam is just, we just look for him to, to try and stay healthy and get through the whole year. That would be, that would be the most beneficial thing I think for Adam as a, as a racer and mental and he's got a two year deal like checker said. So, if he can just get to the season healthy, put in 17 rounds, I think that's pretty successful. That's pretty tough to motivate yourself to push through an injury. I feel like when you have the comfort of a whole lot of money in your bank account and a two-year deal, like at what point does he say, well, I'm not riding for a contract. I'm going to try to get myself a hundred percent and attack the outdoors. You know, it's that mentality right. happens guys a lot when they're, they're in a secure situation. So it just makes it a little, a little bit easier um, versus trying to, push through when your back's not up against the wall things. right which i mean honestly i would rather see him get it healthy and be ready for outdoors too than have it cause a crash and then it's another injury piled on top of it that he's dealing with you know it's it's those injuries add up and and he's getting older and you know he's not the old guy in the class by any means but they start to you're starting to feel those pains and you know <laughs> that side of things as uh as you get older as well so let's hope that the issue isn't nearly as bad as as it was last year and maybe that it's it's taken care of before the first race and he's able to put in a solid main event of 20 minutes plus a lap and he can stand you know somewhere on that podium this year would be it'd be great to see you know it'd be a great story for sure like uh, like fingers crossed i think all three of us are uh like would like to see adam have some success uh in this class especially in supercross where he does show speed every single time he's on the track let's switch uh switch gears from uh we'll, we'll leave one manufacturer we'll, we'll keep the same uh, energy drink sponsor move on over to uh the star racing uh monster energy yamaha team uh and let's just like it, it like we, we would be remiss without uh, starting with the champ last year Average start fifth, which Eli's never been known for having awesome starts, but starting in the top five, you're always going to put yourself in a good position to, uh, to you got at least uh, three fourths of the uh, three quarters of the, of the, the class behind you. And then uh, more often than not, he's on the podium. In fact, his average finish is a podium finish. Um, like you guys have been watching this guy since he first turned pro won his very first win at, uh, at Hangtown 2010 
Um, he's really coming into his own. It's kind of, it's, I wouldn't say a farewell tour, but this is the last time that we're going to see Eli Tomac really challenge for a championship. And I think he wants to go out with a bang. I think Eli Tomac is in a great space mentally. I think he's in a great space physically. Uh, he's not really battling anything. Anything he was dealing with that knee at the end of Supercross obviously is not an issue anymore, given the fact that he was still being able to be extremely fast outdoors um, and and then also raced off-season races. You don't see a guy racing off-season races if they're nursing any type of injury. Checkers, I'll let you start off on Eli Tomac, last year's champ. Will he be this year's champ? Um, well, I think the key with it right there is that he's on his way out. So, um I don't think it's ever a question of he's going to work just as hard. He's easy. Eli Tomac. He's probably going to be training when he's done. Um, I think going over oh, yeah. to the monster energy star racing Yamaha team, it energized him and puts made it fun again. And I mean, you could definitely tell he's having more fun. Plus winning is awesome. It's when you're losing that sucks. So I think all of that stuff's lining up to be good. The one thing that's tough is um, Denny and I've talked about this before. Um, we were talking about it with Brayton last year. Like when you know you're done after a season, it's really tough to stay motivated and to take those chances. And again, we just talked about you can't ride to not get hurt. So Eli somehow is going to have to put that out of his brain. I don't think that's going to be an issue as far as that, because I think he like you said, he wants to go out with a bang. I think the big issue there is there's a new motorcycle over there. And we heard all about last year how great this new KTM is how it's going to fix all the problems and it's way better supercross bike for these guys. And guess what? That bike was not very good. Um, if you watch the races, it was very, very apparent. And I have heard that Eli's not gelling with that bike nearly as well as Ferrandis is. And we've all seen Eli when he was at Cowie, when he was not comfortable on the motorcycle riding around and getting eighth place, that is not going to get a championship done when you have an up-and-coming Chase Sexton, a Jason Anderson that was ready to attack at any point. And then the final piece, I'm hearing lots of rumors that the reason the bikes are not in dealerships or just are getting to dealerships is they're having clutch issues. There's not one rider on the racetrack that is harder on clutches than Eli Tomac. So if they're having clutch issues with the bike, that is a huge, huge problem for Tomac. Yes, can they do things on the factory level to fix it? Well, to an extent, but I mean, how many times do we see his Cowie smoking with a hot clutch? And they had plenty of years to fix that with a very good team. Yeah. Well, let me say <clears throat> proudly and happily, Elito Mac is dead. <laughs> he is no longer with us. That was my nickname for Eli when he had a lot of rough seasons with Cowie. Uh, so I felt I like. He I'll cut you off one second there, Denny. If 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 Elito Tomac or uh, Elito Mac comes back for Anaheim one, I need you to just tr- tweet out he's risen. <laughs> he's, he's back from the dead. Yes. No. You know, I I uh, I always felt that Eli was not right riding his potential. I mean, I've seen we've all seen how well he can ride, and then one little hiccup can just totally snowball with him, and. I kind of wrote, gave him a lot of shit about it with, you know, with Lito Mac. We even messaged back and forth a few times about it. And, Little Danny. Uh, but when he got, when he signed that contract in October, I, I, I think that next day I, I posted something on Instagram, said, this is your 22 Supercross champion. And I really believe that him getting out of Cowie, not that anything's wrong with Cowie, but a new world, a new site, a new vision, a new vibe was going to help him. And it did. And we saw the true Eli Tomac having fun, smiling. Uh, we know he's one of the best shaped guys out there. We know that he can turn out a lap faster than probably anybody ever has since James. Um, 
and he did. It was great to watch. I, I, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I've been a fan, even though I was giving him shit about it. But as Checker said, with his 2022, 2023 bikes, if a rider of Eli, who's on his way out, man, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't just let him ride that 22 bike. You know, I mean, tell, tell the fans. I'm never going to let that happen. This is what he likes. No, I know. Checkers and I argue back and forth on that, you know. But, you know, look at McGrath. McGrath raced an old Honda frame for five years when he was out with them or however long he raced with them. You know, he did not ride the stock, that, that production bike. Um, he rode the old bike. And I, for me, I think there's no reason why. If you want to win a title, you let Eli ride his old bike and go win it or go do the best he can with his comfort on. Dylan's comfortable in the 2023. You know, you got, you got Kenny riding a, a five-year-old bike. So let's just go ride whatever you're comfortable on. And, and let Driving Eli go out and win. Carmichael's 07. Yeah, right. So I think Kenny just pulled, I think he just changed the stickers, tore, tore the RCA stickers off and threw some uh, progressive stickers on. It's going to go racing, but that's another topic here we'll get to. But uh, for me, I think Eli's the favorite. I don't see any reason why he uh, will not continue his dominance and not dominance, but confidence and, and, and speed and, uh, and rhythm that he just looks so good on that, that Yamaha, unless he doesn't gel on that new bike. And that'll be a shame that in his last year that he, after coming off this year of his career, he gets on a bike that, again, isn't gelling with. Um, but look at what Star is doing. Star is willing to do anything they can. Um, you know, they don't have to answer necessarily to the Japanese like Kawasaki had to. So I think that they'll make it everything they can. Will, they will do uh, within their means. And I, I don't expect Eli any less than a podium coming out uh, at A1. Last year, he came out with a seventh um, or a sixth. I, I don't see that. I think he's coming out guns a-blazing from, uh, from the beginning. If Eli yeah, Tomac, oh, go ahead. I was say the whole field's definitely in trouble if he continues to get reasonably good starts because that was a big crutch as well for him. You know, that was keeping, that was what's causing a lot of the eighth place finishes was he was getting poor starts and then couldn't ride forward because the bike wasn't good. So if he can at least start up front, he's going to stay somewhere near the front, even if he's not comfortable on the bike on his, on his off nights and he's going to avoid those, you know, kind of crappy finishes and that side of things. And I don't know how you – you can't doubt the guy coming off of the year that he just had. He absolutely crushed everybody everywhere he went last year. And darn it, he's Captain America, baby. Took that destinations, yeah. went home for all of us uh, Americans. You have to be a fan of him, and, man, he was dominant. So hopefully he can overcome the motorcycle. He has the guys there that on the team that he wants, that he's comfortable with, that know how to make him happy. So I don't see it being a problem, although that will be the reason that he doesn't win if he doesn't is the new motorcycle. Absolutely. Like, I think like the only thing we can do here is sort of try and poke some holes as to how we won't be um, as good as he was last year. The only thing you can really say is that maybe he doesn't gel as well as he did with the new bike as he did with the, the old bike and we saw with in 2017 like he had he started off this, the year with a, a pair of seventh place finishes which he attributed to arm pump like that you're not getting arm pump being one of the fittest guys in the class it comes down to bike setup and not being comfortable on the machine so if that rears its ugly head again if he if he's if he complains about arm pump or if you start seeing him change a lot of things about the front end of the motorcycle that is to me a little bit of a, a cause for worry but for all intents and purposes i think that eli tomac is going to come out swinging i think he's going to be fast i think he's going to be 
as advertised. And honestly, I, I've never wanted to party with a professional athlete as much as when I saw him <laughs> like seven, eight beers deep, just pouring beer on himself and just being an absolute hooligan. Like, I don't think like what was, was, was that like Eli Tomac's first, second, third, fourth, and fifth beer he's ever had in his entire life. I, I messaged him after, after donations, but we got checkers and I were there with all of our buddies and, and we lived, we loved it. it you know, I, we love going to donations and for them to win like that. And I messaged Eli and said, man, I told you donations matters, you know, and I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. And, and he responded back basically with the simple words, donations matter. That was the greatest feeling ever. And you could just see it. And I'm nice. so happy he got to experience that along with Chase, along with uh, Coop, Justin Cooper. And so I, again, I, I was just, really happy that he he's found the speed found the happiness and i think we'll know right away in his first interviews after practice after the heat race in the main event if he's not happy he's he's one to tend to kind of carry his emotions on his sleeve if he's he not really ear it. to ear there's something going on behind those eyes that, that that i think that he's uh he's kind of obvious about so well i think we'll know real quickly if, if that he's not gelling Speaking of guys who wear their emotions on their sleeve, uh, he's got a teammate who has the inability to not let everybody know how he feels about just about anything, including bike setup. And that's Dylan Ferrandis, your 2021 outdoor champion. Um, like, honestly, Dylan, aside from a Supercross championship, which he was extremely dominant in on a 250, 450 wise you haven't seen a lot of really good success from him like he doesn't get good starts uh in fact for the most part wherever he starts he usually finishes he's not a great passer uh, in supercross um and like i have my i have my doubts on dylan as far as supercross wise i think outdoors he's one of the best uh but supercross i think is something that even like the the 450 seems to have presented him with some problems that i don't think he's calculated for no, I, I agree with you on hundred percent. You know, uh, that one race in 21 at Supercross, it was the one where uh, I was the one Sexton was leading for a long time and then crashed, pitched away in that sand section, kind of flew over the jump and, and landed body wide into oh, it. Yeah. Dylan kind of came through the pack that race, got up to like maybe, I think he got a second or third, third. that night. Yep. And the track was kind of breaking down real sandy. What race was it? You thought? The Marshall one, it was right. Houston. Houston. Might've been Houston. Yeah. yeah. And it, it just, it was had a big long sand section. And I was watching with my dad, and he's like, man, watching Francis is like watching Hannah race. I mean, his feet are off the pegs. Like he's not concerned about style. He's not concerned about being precise over the rhythm sections and stuff. He's just like he rides outdoors, balls to the wall, which is very beneficial. Would you have a two, two minute track to ride out with a lot more room? And supercrosses, things are so big. The jumps are so rhythm sections are so big. The whoops are so gnarly. That you can't, I don't think you can ride that way and, and survive. And as we, and Dylan's proven, he hasn't really been able to do that on a 450. And again, like you said, terrible starts, unable to come to the pack with those bad starts. He's got some work to do. And, you know, I, uh, I was blown away how fast he went to nations because he did not show a lot of speed when he came back injured in the outdoors here. But if he can get some good starts, start up top five, see what those, what those guys up front are doing. I mean, we all know, Every rider knows if you can get out front and see what the guys are doing, we're beating you and then start getting into the rhythm and see how to do it. Every lap, how to do it. Every race, something clicks. And uh, it could for Dylan, because obviously he's one of the world's best, but he's, he, again, he struggles in, in supercross. He just needs, he needs to kind of figure out his rhythm a little bit better. And he definitely needs to figure out his starts. 
Yes. Checkers, what are your thoughts on Dylan? Honestly, this guy, he's he's a bit frustrating when it comes to starts. Like, if I was a Dylan Ferrandez fan, I would be livid when I see when I'm I'm looking at the tower at the on the first lap and I see that guy in 12th, 13th spot, knowing that honestly, these races are long, but in Supercross, they're really not. Like 20 minutes is not a lot of time. You basically have to be make if, if he starts out, say if he starts out 10th, he has to make a pass every two minutes. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we've seen a, a top level rider with that's such a poor starter since Mike Larocca. Like it's been a long yes. time since we've seen someone that literally can probably run up near the podium if he would just get a start and he never gets a start. It's not like every now and again he gets a good start. He never gets a start. It was amazing. So he's going into year three, which as we talked about with Sexton, year three is the magic year. You figure it out. Well, he's going into year three. He's got two podiums and five top fives in two years of Supercross. And for a guy that's been at the level that he's ridden outdoors on a 450, and he's proven he can ride Supercross on a 250, that is not acceptable results for, for Dylan Frandis. I personally think that he figures it out this year. I'm hearing he really likes the new bike. I think that helps. I would hope that he's done nothing but practice starts during the offseason and figured them out. He has a ton of talent and can do some magical things on the bike. And he's he's a little bit wilder than Anderson, but he's got a little bit of that same style where he can turn a mistake almost into a positive. And, you know, he doesn't get bothered by making little mistakes. The problem is, is his mistakes often put him on the ground. Um, he has to figure that part out. But I think that we see the Ferrandis that we thought we were going to see in 2022, in 2023. Um, I 100% think that he will be an improved rider and he will be battling within the top five a lot more often. And she should be able to sneak some podiums. I mean, I him think. just, I mean, last year, I'm looking at his results right now. He opened with the 16th at Anaheim and he ended the season with a 19th at Detroit, which obviously Detroit claimed a lot of guys. So he bookended with some pretty shitty finishes. And with a sixth, a third, a fourth, a twelfth, a sixth, a ninth, a seventh, and a fourth, he raised ten rounds last year. He yeah. hit the podium once, and he had three three top fives. You know, just for him to run consistently in the bottom half of the top ten would be a successful season at this point, really. You know, to, to ask for him to jump up and run anywhere near the pace of, of the top three, three, four guys, I think is kind of a, is, is it might be asking a lot. You know, to get to get him through all seventeen rounds, anywhere between fourth to ninth i think it's gonna be a successful season for Fernandez. i think he's a start dependent top five guy like if and he's shown me no indication that he's figured out his starts but if for some reason he has if for some reason the reason why the the yamahas were having a hard time getting to the dealership is because dylan's going through so many goddamn clutches um <laughs> that that that's that's the real reason why the, the the bikes aren't available. Uh, then like thumbs up. I think he I think he has the ability. Like you said, Debo. Like you get up there, you find what what the, what the pace is like up front, and then you run with them. You go with those guys. Um, but if he st- continues to stay back there, he's gonna be back there because the 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 difference between speed in the twelve, the say or like eleventh through fifth place guy, like they're all the same guy. They're all like, they're basically, they're logging the same lap times. They're hitting the same rhythm sections. And like, you're, you're just going to get lost in the shuffle. And by the time you've made a two or three passes, say you start at 11th, by the time you're in eighth, the rest of those guys are gone. 
Yeah, it's it's it, I, I you know I experienced that with my racing. Uh, I felt that I could run with most guys, know. you know, in, in you know, outdoors and supercross. But if I I'm not going to catch them, I'm not going to pass them necessarily. I can run with them, but I'm sure the hell not going to come from 12th up to sixth. I, you know, I can start sixth and get an eighth. Um, and so I think that is definitely the case. Like you said, there's there's just such a good deep field that the only way you're going to really move up to the pack by starting behind them is to by their crashes, their mistakes, and by you avoiding those same mistakes. Um, just getting a good start is is key in any form of, of motorsports or motocross or indoors, outdoors. You know, Fro build a, a career on getting whole shots and good starts, and and Loralco yeah. made a career of getting shit starts and coming through the pack. And um, but right now, I think there's maybe two, three guys who can come to the pack in this field and get to the top five and, and podium. And then we know who that three is. So, uh, and Dylan currently is not one. We've already talked about them. Um, so let's talk quickly about uh, the third member of the 450 team that's going to run select rounds. Uh, like it's yet to be seen what rounds that's going to be. This is a really weird scenario. I don't know why they did like the, the bike is going to be on the truck. The truck's not going back to California. The bike is going to be on the truck the entire year long. I don't know why just Justin Cooper, Jay Coop will not be racing all of the rounds. He won a, won a championship for star racing Yamaha. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, but in the rounds that he gets to race for the team checkers, how do you think Justin Cooper is going to do? Yeah. So you don't want me to go off on this whole, we're just going to ease into things a little bit. Please do. That's going on in Supercross right now. Yeah. Why the heck are guys wet. racing? That's what, that's, what, Supercross. that's what you're paying these guys for is racing, right? You have to assume you have Eli Tomac retiring. There's a 450 spot open on that truck next year. Don't you want to see what your 250 champion can do on a 450? And maybe he can be that guy for you. What the hell are you doing? Let the guy go race. He's a racer. You have the bike. You have the staff. It's not costing you that much more for him to go race. And Two here's years the ago, they ran three guys all year long. It makes no sense because here's the thing. If he's not racing, he's still at home riding. So don't give me the whole, oh, he might get hurt type of thing. Plus, no, I don't got that rookie for yeah, that, that why do you think they're keeping do you think they might be trying to keep him healthy for the outdoors? I mean, that's my only that's my only rational thought on that. That's what teams well. say and do these days, and then all the injuries happen when they're practicing pretty much, anyways. But hey, anyways, how does he do? Well, but here's the thing is saving him for the outdoors, it doesn't make any sense to save him for the outdoors. Are you gonna save him for the outdoors so they can go get race around in sixth? Like well, he's riding 250 outdoors, so they want a championship. On, okay. on that side of things. And I could see, st- let him start the year at least. Yeah. I'm hearing that they're going to bring him in in the middle of the season. Let him start yeah. the year. So if it's going well, then you keep going. If it's not going well, okay, we're going to stop midway through the year. You're going to go test your 250, be 100% for the start of the outburst. I can get on board with that as a strategy. That's not what they're doing. And I don't know if you guys paid attention and watched the sport, but how does it usually go when guys jump in in the middle of the season? Like As jumping guys, on a treadmill on, at Mach 5. Right. The, the the level goes up. He's got those first-round problems and jitters and bike setup because the racetracks are never like the practice tracks. Never. Here's the thing. You have a practice track. It sits there. It gets weathered. All the transitions are much smoother. And you get And the guys memorize every transition, every – yeah. You memorize the track. It's absolutely the – dumbest decision in the world and in my opinion but how does he do um honestly if they put him in in the middle of the season i think he's chasing around the tail end of the top 10 if he's even in the top 10 because you can't put somebody into the middle of the season i just i 
I can see maybe he has a breakout right at Daytona, but a lot of guys are good at Daytona, so it's not like he's going to break out there. Um, I think the guy has, has quite a bit of talent. He's been a very good starter a lot of his career. And, man, I think that he needs to do well to make sure that he has a 450 spot, and they're not setting him up for success there. So I just – I don't understand it. It's It's frustrating. If I were him, I would be – asking can I pay my own way to go race to line up on the line at a one um it's which is he shouldn't have to do but he won them no. a championship yeah I, I, I agree if he if he doesn't line up at a one it's the biggest mistake that Bobby Reagan and stars made and they don't make many mistakes over that they build champions won a lot of titles you, you think uh you think somebody's got to be telling them at least give him a shot you know he went out there you know first of all congratulations Jay Coop fucking winning that motocross nations for us well done if you're out there listening if you're a family member that was awesome and give him a shot man I, I, i'm glad he was even gonna ride 450 i was heard he wasn't even gonna ride any 450 supercrosses which i even felt we discussed it was like well, what is that all about so to say he's only ride a handful of them as daniel blair i think has said something already bought as well bobby reagan don't be ridiculous put him on a 450 at a1 see what he can do and like checkers he said if he doesn't do well after a handful of rounds he doesn't get those, you know, doesn't feel comfortable on the bike, then then set him back. But yeah, you don't put him in the middle of the season. They, and any motocrosser discuss that. Any announcers discuss it. You know, you start out the season injured, you show up at round eight, round nine, you're behind the eight ball of, of speed, confidence, knowing how your bike's working, everything. Everything you said, Checkers, is, which I rarely say is 100% correct. <laughs> yeah. This is an isolated uh, topic that, that uh, Checkers is 100% correct on. But my, my approach is like, why, why, like why delay the answers that you need to certain questions? Like can Jay Coop get used to an entire 17 race series? Like if you delay this and for like basically his 450 sort of rookie season by one season, all that means is that this time or in, in 15 months from now, we're going to be hearing Justin Cooper talking about how, how much of an adjustment it is to 17 rounds, a long series, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like you're, and, you're basically yeah, throwing if, away the 2023 season. It's a total, yeah. it's a total waste. If you don't try to, if you do not attempt to race, then don't have him race at all. Yeah. You, you've totally wasted a year of, of experience on, for him. And, and, and if I'm Justin Cooper, I would have to be looking at, at that way and going, you're, you're wasting my time. You know, I, I need to set, I need to get, try this and get that. He's going to be riding. Under your belt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's, he's going to be, He's going to have to be riding every day if he plans to join the series midway. Fuck it, man. Line him up at the gate. Give him a shot. See what he can do. I, I agree. Yeah. But then, again, that's a great point. What a waste of a year if he does not fully commit to his rookie season. Yeah. And and don't forget, like, uh, Justin Cooper is is older than most guys with his amount of years in the class. He turned pro at, I believe, 19 or 20 years old. So he didn't just, like, turn pro at 16 like everybody else. Um, he, he had, he had like a couple extra years on him, which means he probably has a little bit more man strength, even though he's not a, he's not a big guy. Uh, he could probably handle the bike a little bit better, I think. And honestly, a full season of racing a 450 outdoor, like indoors would, would build up the strength, stamina, and ability he needs to drop back down to the 250 for the outdoors and just crush it very much like a, the, the, the great Ricky Carmichael did in 1999. I guess Absolutely. the only, the only thing that I could see is, are they trying to wait till the field's depleted with injuries a little bit so he doesn't take a big confidence hit? Is that the, that's the only thing that I can think of? I mean, there is another rider that we'll get to discuss that that did do that and jumped into the 450 class 
that was depleted with injuries and put in some great results to build his confidence. But yeah, I, I, that's the only, that's the only explanation that I can even potentially think of for them is, is for him to do that, but it makes no sense to me. And I mean, they're the ones that are running the team. They're way smarter than I am most likely with this stuff, but I think they're making a huge mistake. And Justin Cooper for uh, just note, he is 24 years old. So that's, there you uh, go. That's Him and AC times. are like six months apart. That's awesome. Um, like I'm going to, and I'll also, I'm going to make a fortune on uh, let Jay Coop ride t-shirts uh, coming yeah. to you, <laughs> uh, coming to you at a moment's notice. Um, let's, let's switch things over to the Austrian brands, which means we're going to be in colors, orange, white, and red for the next 25 minutes, maybe more. Um, we might just spend 25 minutes talking about how Aaron Plessinger starts are never, are never any good either. Uh, but let's start with AP, uh, the number seven in your program, number one in your hearts, especially if you're a country music fan, 19th in points last year. I think this guy, maybe more than anyone, aside from, I, I, I don't think there's a single guy on the line in the field who, on a factory bike, who needs to have a big year, other than Aaron Plessinger. Like, like, am I crazy in thinking that he's sort of riding for a job? Because, like, last year was not good, indoors or out. Um, I, I will lead with this. Uh, my biggest uh, complaint, and not complaint, concern with 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 AP. Uh, Mr. Aaron Plessinger, it was, was leaving Yamaha, you know, going to KTM. I just, I said from the day one, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, this is a terrible idea. You know, star is fun. It lets you do what should be you. Uh, Austrian brands with Roger and KTM and Alden. That's everything. That's everything that Aaron Plessinger is not, you know, I mean, it is not, I, I believe he's a hard worker. I believe he's a trainer, but I don't know if he's a ground ground pounder. Like he does, it has to do every day at Alden. Um, the bike is much different, obviously, with the steel frame compared to the Yamaha. I didn't like the chains at all for him, and so far that the chains has proven me correct. And that things is not he's not bode well on this on this orange bike. You know, last season he opened up. Um, where is he on here? Opened up with a ninth at A1, got a second, a podium next round, a sixth the next one, and then a twenty second, eleventh, a ninth, and a seventh. Then he was gone, and we didn't see him really all year for the rest of Supercross. He had a couple decent finishes in outdoors. If AP ain't being AP, I think it stifles him. And I think his styles just suits the yellow bike or the blue bike a little bit better than the, the, the KTM. And uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he comes out with some results because obviously he's a, he's a great uh, fan favorite. It's him on the podium, enjoying life, loving life, gets everybody fired up. But I still think he's got a long ways to go as well. And just to run consistent top fives. Otherwise, I think we're, we're seeing again anywhere from six to 12th all season long checkers it's pretty nuts that uh, there was almost a bidding war for him when he went to the ktm there was yeah. a lot of hype about ap but if i went back and actually looked at the results sometime this summer and then uh, right before we did this podcast and in 2021 when he had all that hype he only had four top five finishes and only one of them was a podium like the hype was a lot higher than really the results showed and the last Last year was an absolute disaster. There's no other way to say it. It was an absolute disaster. I couldn't believe it when I went back and looked and reminded myself, oh, he had a podium in Supercross last year at round two. Second. And then, I mean, he did have he did have an Ironman podium that, that was pretty cool. I mean, that was good or whatever. But other than that, it was a disaster. But I'm going to try to be positive and try to say, okay, that's year two with Alden. So 
we've seen Alden do some magic with some guys, but we've also yeah. seen him struggle with guys like AP where, you know, he, like the tickles of the world or the Weimers where he couldn't really help them or, or fix them. Um, yeah, but I'm going to say he built that base and, and, and maybe he's good and maybe he has it. But then it comes to that the motorcycle that I still, I mean, we're going to talk about it. I guarantee a ton with, with the next couple of guys or maybe all of the whole group that we're going to talk Every about. Every single one of them. And I'm not convinced it's fixed after, I don't know if you guys watched the Paris Supercross, but there was a couple orange bikes that could not get through the whoops that were, yes, they were big and, and scary looking, but they had a nice transition into them and, and were almost easier than a lot of the stuff we see in the U.S., and those guys were still struggling in them. Like, and I feel like AP just, he doesn't look good on the KTM. He looks huge on it, in my opinion. Um, he does. He looks massive on that. It's hard point. for me. But, dude, I think he's competing for a ride. Absolutely. I think if he doesn't perform this year, then he's looking to be riding a yellow bike alongside Kenny or um, maybe riding a motor concepts bike, something along those lines. I don't see him on one of the elite factory teams next year, even with the great personality that he has in the phone loving attitude or maybe he's going to put some bark busters back on and go back to hanging out in the woods and he's really good at that yeah, yeah honestly like i i think that uh, uh ap uh has some some serious soul searching to do and like he's known to not be the best tester in the world he's he's been known to struggle with that and i think that that even compounds the issues that he's having with that motorcycle and i i think honestly if you you gave uh AP some truth serum at the beginning of last year, he probably would you be happy, like even prior to the season starting, are you happy moving to the KTM? He'd probably say no. Uh, just given the fact that the bike does not look settled. I see when I watch a lot of the videos from the KTM guys, I see a lot of clipping of rhythm sections. I see a lot of packing in the, in the, the, the whoops and uh, a lot of guys who just don't look comfortable. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that AP has has to figure some things out and I hope that Al didn't, didn't break him, but you know, if he doesn't end up with a ride somehow and has a bad season and he goes woods riding joins, uh, you know, in 2024 with Oz and, and GNCC, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised for that. And I think he'd probably crush it out there. So why did he look better on a two stroke at straight rhythm than, than he did last year in Supercross? Cause everyone else was just as uncomfortable. Okay. That's fair enough. Well, I think we're ready to move on. What do you Absolutely. Think? So uh, let's go on to uh, uh, your two-time Supercross champion, seventh last year, uh, after uh, what was what was dubbed the best off-season ever. Cooper Webb, uh, he's he's married. He's got a kid now. Uh, he's he's back on the Alvin Baker program. Uh, last year, his starts were just outside the top five. His average finish was just outside the top five. Um, honestly, unless. In, in Cooper really has like bought in again, um, which I, 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 I would assume he has, but honestly, like, I, I don't know him to be this like hammerhead trainer to just switch things back around. Um, I I'm kind of expecting more of the same from Cooper Webb into in 2023. I kind of expect him to be a fourth, fifth, sixth guy, um, with some heat race wins and, uh, um, maybe giving, uh, Ken rocks in some fits here and there because those guys like to butt heads. But aside from that, I actually don't expect a lot from Cooper Webb in 20, uh, 2023. Maybe you guys proved me wrong, but uh, I, I don't see it. 
I mean, I guess if you look at um, you look at Eli Tomac or Jason Anderson being happy with your program can breed some really good results. I mean, I think all of us have ridden dirt bikes and, and you always do your best work when you're when you're happy. And so going back to a program that you hated and you don't want to be at. Is that going to work? How do you expect that to fix the problem? Um, I see Cooper Webb riding out his contract this year. Uh, honestly, yep. I I think that he's I don't think that he will know that going in. I feel like he's he's putting in the work, he's trying, and he's mentally tough. But the fact of the matter is when he shows up at round one, doesn't get the result that he wants, it starts to get easier and easier to just ride out the contract and say, I'm gonna go somewhere else next year because I'm not happy. Or maybe he just says, I'm over this completely. Like we've seen so many people that have gotten burnt out from the, the Baker program. Um, just say, hey, I'm done. I have plenty of money in the bank. I won my championship. I'm done. Um, I don't see that. I see him going to find another team and trying to find their opportunity where he'll be happy um, and can maybe have a little bit more fun. But it's not fun grinding if you don't want to be there and you're not all in. And if, if he was going to be all in, I don't think you see him racing a bunch of local races in the in the summer. I think you see him on the starting line at Pro Motocross or doing nothing at all. Yeah. No, I think that was a really odd schedule that he kept over this last year. And all those signs point to him just sort of like, I wouldn't say mailing it in, but like, I, I certainly don't see him being able to uh, come back to the form that he was once at. He doesn't look happy. He doesn't look energized. And honestly, he used to have a little bit of snarl on him when he'd come to the line. Like he was kind of like had that sort of that, that little smirk on his face that he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to mess some people up today. Uh, and he hasn't had that since the tail end of uh, the 2020 season. Yeah. And then taking the summer off and experiencing the fun of life. Uh, I would, I flash back to hearing the Bradshaw stories of yep. stayed home and discovered that there's life besides dirt bikes and he was never the same after. And I have a feeling that Cooper Webb just went through that. And I was hoping that he would show up and be gnarly Cooper and ready to prove a point at Paris. And he just reaffirmed that things are just as crappy as they were all last year. Debo, do you yeah, know what I mean, it's like to find out that there's some things other than dirt bikes? Well, I kind of lived that life anyways. You know, I, I always <laughs> knew that motocross wasn't going to last forever. And as long as I'm racing a dirt bike, I'm going to make the most of it, no matter what city I'm in, no matter what state I'm in, no matter what country I'm in, you know, and uh, it is, you know, and, you know, first let me say, you know, obviously we all agree that but those two titles at Cooper Webb won were, were phenomenal. I mean, his racecraft, yeah. his uh, undying, uh, never giving up, you know, wearing Kenny down um, were, were awesome to watch. I mean, it was incredible to just watch someone, but I think also in the same breath, that his style, the way he won those championships, don't transfer into today's, you know, it's only been two years, but not even that, it's been a year. I don't think transfer over into the speed and the, the way that Tomac rides, Chase rides, and Anderson rides, where they flow and they carry so much speed. You know, Coop was so good at stopping on a dime, putting that K team in a rut, and turning around a tough lock and shooting out the other way uh, with little or no hesitation. I don't think that that type of technique is, is going gonna, is gonna to float nowadays in, in 2023. And I, do, I was shocked at coming into last season, coming into 2022. All the media guys were all hyped on, on Webb. Webb's, good. Webb's, Webb's the favorite, man. He's going to win this thing. And I'm like, man, I didn't see it. I, I didn't see it at all. And I was shocked that he came out at Anaheim 1 and got a second. You know, he, looking at his results, they weren't horrible. You know, I think he, he was too. Us, uh, he, he went 2-3-2 two, two at, at round 7, 8, 9 at uh, Minnesota, Dallas, and Daytona. That race at Daytona was awesome until 
Eli broke him at the end of it, which had to, had to kind of weigh on him. But he also did that race in Detroit. Well, all of a sudden, he decides he's going to triple a rhythm section on a complete brain fart. He had no intention to jump in it. I think he got confused where he was at. Um, it's little things like that. I don't think he's going to get over for this year. I don't, again, I, I, he's, he's got a taste of the good life. He doesn't like that bike. He has no snarl in him at all. Um, and I agree. I, I don't see him running anywhere, but you know, he can run top five. He might have a podium here, but I don't consistently see him running that speed uh, of the top three guys that we've picked with Eli chase and Jason. Um, and, and if it's a matter of him going to another team, I don't see him going to another team. I think if once he's done with KTM, I don't think he'll ride the outdoors this summer. Um, he had no interest. He obviously was having a good time racing locals and off-road racing. He was probably the most highest paid local racer in the country ever. Um, so um, I, I, I like to see what Gun Cooper's do, doing well, but it also takes a lot of energy, a lot of mental strength for what he's done already and accomplished. Once you kind of break that mold, getting away from it, put on a little pounds, um, it's hard to come back. So I don't see him coming back up to that speed again that he's had in the past. I do not count Cooper as a, as a, as a title contender for 2023. No, I don't either. What do you think, Checkers? Yeah, I don't, I don't have him on my list of, of title contenders. And uh, spoiler alert, I don't have him in my top five at the end of the season. And I do think he races all the races, but I don't think any of them are very good. No, I, I think his high water work is his high watermark for the year is going to be a top five finish. Uh, and honestly, like same could be said for a guy who uh, I believe if, if he didn't win a race last year, fourth in points, Marvin Muscan, um, like this is his last year, right? Like I feel like we've been saying this for the last three years or so of Marv sort of like being on KTM, still being legit and, and relevant, but not really a a race winning contender not really a championship contender like he's like I, I really don't know what to make of uh of marvin Muscan. like he he sometimes shows flashes and all of a sudden he's up front and he's actually a half decent starter but for the most part like there's a lot of also some uninspiring rides from from marv where he just goes completely like he's just he's like the quietest fifth place you've ever seen well last year from round 10 Till round 17, Salt Lake City, he ran a fourth, a third, a third, a first, a tenth, two more thirds, and a fifth. So, I mean, he rounded off with five podiums out of the last seven races, which, you know, again, you, you would not think of that. You don't look back and go, man, Marv was kicking ass at the end of the year. He does it so He quietly. also got moved up one because Barsha uh, messed with uh, Mookie and, yeah. and lost points. Sure. Yep. So, it's... It's a matter of him. I think the brand likes him. I think Roger likes him. He does do good. He's very popular. Uh, he's, his interviews are, are, are great. Obviously, you're never going to keep Marvin quiet. He'll tell you exactly he what's the on diet. his mind, which I think is a bonus for KTM. And, and obviously, he was, a number, yeah, and he was a number one rider on the team in Supercross last season. So, obviously, I was, it's great that he got a renewal. But it's, you would think that this would be his last year. And, you know, eventually, you're going to hit that, that high watermark of, like, well, I'm getting older. I'm not going to want to take those chances and stuff. So <laughs> is he a race winner? I don't see one unless it just, everything works out perfectly like it did last year. Will he run top five? I think he's capable of running top five. But again, I think he's probably more of a four to seven spot and uh, will do it quietly and win some heat races and still jump to the whoops when need be because that's he's got that dialed in. But 
when the track is uh, it doesn't break down as much, and, and they, those guys are hauling ass forward gear across the tops of them. Mar- those type of races, I think Marvel struggling. What do you think, Jack? You're wrong. You're you're totally wrong. To four to seven, he had six podiums last year. Like no, I agree. The dude won a race. He at the end of the year, he was he was better. He's clearly the one that has figured out how to ride that motorcycle. He's going to suck in the whoops no matter what and jump through them anyways. So that's not going to hold him back at all. Like, I think he comes back to KTM because he's going to be their top rider in Supercross. They're going to get rid of both Webb and AP. So there'll be a spot there, at least as a number two rider. He's having fun. He has a ton of natural talent. Like, I don't know. People are knocking on the guy, but he's having fun. And he's he wants to be there. And I think that's the key. He wants to be there. He's putting in great results. Why wouldn't he continue? He's racing the same guys. Like he's not just going to take a step backwards all of a sudden. I don't think. Like, don't I can't discredit six podiums. That's a lot of podiums for a guy that doesn't get talked about very much. There's no question in my mind he's the top KTM rider at the end of the series. I I would I would say that as well. Like if not, uh, like for sure, top KTM rider could be the top Austrian brand rider. Honestly. Uh, depending on how some other guys shake out, but yeah, he'll be, he'll be up there. He'll be up there consistently. It just seems like, like he's sort of like, he's like a, a high end version of like a Justin Brayton where he's just like, he's, he's welcome on that team for as long as he wants him and him and Roger both speak French. They can like enjoy each other's company and he has his smoking hot wife and everything else is awesome. Um, but uh, as far as like championship contender, I think he's like, maybe like the, the quote unquote best of the rest. Can we talk? Can we, can we leave him as, as that? Yeah. I don't even know if I put him, he should be in the mix for that conversation. I don't necessarily put him that high, but probably should based on the results that he had. Um, but really he was basically fifth in the series last year. Um, but if you look at the second half of it and break, broke it down, yeah, he would probably be right in that, that mix of the best of the rest, but um, he would be battling for the best of the rest. But I think there's a there's a couple guys on a different Austrian uh, brand that we're going to talk about that that maybe will battle for that spot. And there are a lot of Austrian brands. Let's let's go from let's go from Marvin Muscan to maybe the polar opposite who got fifth last year in the points due to uh, him uh, just doing Barsha things in in getting into it with Malcolm Stewart, uh, the lone gas gas uh, combatant. Um, he's like Justin Barsha is Justin Barsha. Justin Barsha is going to get good starts. Justin Barsha is going to stick his nose probably where it doesn't belong. Justin Barsha is going to, uh, is going to have some beef with someone throughout the season. It'll probably be uh, either Malcolm Stewart, Jason Anderson, or very well could be Christian Craig. Um, Like it really depends on who he decides to uh, what, what flavor he wants for that particular day. Uh, check what are, what are your thoughts on on uh, um, Justin Barsha? Has he changed his stripes in any way, or are we just going to get this the, the same crazy fast, uh, maybe ill advised passes every once in a while? Uh, Justin Barsha, who generates a lot of entertainment every single weekend. I sure hope he doesn't change his stripes because dang, it's entertaining. I absolutely love to hate Justin Barsha, and the yes. reason I say that. I'm not a fan. I don't like really the way that he is off the track necessarily when it comes to running into people. The whole, what? I didn't do anything. It's like, no, you did. You ran across, cut across the inside of the corner and completely T-boned the guy. So just say I completely cut across the corner and T-boned the guy. Oh, and I'll tell you, good job, because I think it's awesome. I think it's entertaining. Um, I live for it. I love it. I 
absolutely love controversy. I love having a villain in the sport. I don't necessarily think I would agree with the, the crazy fast. I mean, he's crazy fast compared to a normal human, but in the field, like flat out speed has really never been Barsha's thing all the way through. Even when he was winning 250 titles, it wasn't a flat yeah, out fair. speed. It was good start. It's always delivering. It wasn't just this like blazing speed, but he had six podiums, which is it's okay. Last year, the big thing is he had 11 top five finishes. That is consistently why he was so well, how did so well in points. But here's the thing that he has to overcome now. The gas gas is onto that new chassis that we've been hammering home. And gosh, I hope you don't ever want KTM as an advertiser because we're hammering (laughs) home on that motorcycle does not work. But uh, he has to adapt to that now. He has to go onto that bike because he was not on it last year. The gas gas was the old version. that means he's a year behind developing settings and stuff for himself. Does he get their development? Yes, absolutely. But he's behind. So I don't think that things get any better for Justin Barsha. The question will be, do they get worse or do they stay the same? Well, I agree with you on that. I mean, I love the way he rides. I mean, I, I don't like it for the other riders, but that last round in Salt Lake City when he parked Malcolm and everybody's like, you know, man, he should be banned from racing. That race was one of the most exciting races I've watched in, 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 in forever. And those people on those grandstands who were booing as loud as they possibly could every single lap will never forget ever being at that race. I mean, that was just to sit at home on my couch was ridiculous and insane to watch. To be there live, I couldn't imagine it. I mean, it was that building had to be shaking. And but the, nothing better than than Chris and Beat sitting down with Justin at A1 and them talking. And I really don't want to be known as Bam Bam anymore. I'm not that guy. Well, that lasted about all of about 14 days. You know, he opened with two podiums with Anaheim and Oakland. And then I think the shit show started at San Diego. You know, he started putting people on the ground. And I think it's just, that's just, that's just the way he is. I don't think he means to, to kill you. I don't think he means to harm you. He is just one of the best assassins in the motor in the sports it's ever been. It's a skill set to knock someone down and not take yourself out in the process. I've posted that on message boards and social media, and people laugh at me. What it takes nothing to throw your bike at some guy. Trust me, I've knocked a lot of people down in my career. <laughs> it's a it's a skill. You know, oh, I hit someone if- in the spot in, in the right speed in the right spot, and it is not easy to take not take yourself out. I always joke at if you want to be an aggressive rider. You better not end up in a pile with the two of you. And if you do, you better get up first. But Barsha is entertainment. I love nothing more. Everything Checker said, I, again, 100% agree with, because we always laugh about it, is when he, when someone comes up behind him, even Eli, you know, even the best, Anderson, they Doesn't matter. shit their pants. They're like, oh, I've, got, I've gotten to this guy. Like, I got to get around him in the safest possible manner. And when I do get by him, I got to get away two, three bike legs on him immediately. I got to get away because he's going to kill me if not. And, and to see those guys as fast and as talented and as skilled that they are, pull that panic button. You see them, man, like, man, I'm coming. And it is just, it's incredible. And it is, it's great entertainment as a fan. I couldn't imagine he'd be better, but I think checkers also nailed it is he hasn't really showed nearly necessarily blinding speed. He's a great starter. And he's solid every lap. I don't think he makes big mistakes. I don't think he puts in big heaters. And, you know, with 17 top tens, his worst finish was a ninth and two sevenths. That's a pretty damn solid year. You know, if he can just kind of avoid some of the carnage, which we all know he's probably not going to do, um, I think he's going to be have another solid year. 
and hopefully he gels with that bike and he keeps us entertained. Well, he creates a lot of the carnage and that's, it's also a skill set though, in my opinion, to be able to smash as many guys as he's smashed and no angle in a corner is off limits for him. Yeah. He doesn't get taken out often. And yeah, that's it. You you know, like that's a skill because you know all those guys want to get payback on him. And so either he has them psyched out so much that they don't want to touch him because they don't want to start a war, which I don't think is the case, or he just knows how to be defensive when he needs to be defensive to not get put on the ground and not give them a chance to pay them back. So um, he's been top five in the series. And that's the end of part one. Head on over to part two where myself, Debo, and Checkers uh, break down the rest of the 450 class for 2023. Go check out our our sponsors. Big MX Radio is brought to you by Fox Racing Canada, WSA, Guts Racing, and of course, Phoenix Handlebars. Um, support the sponsors. that they're, they're what make this podcast go. I uh, would really appreciate you guys doing that. And uh, also go over to Race Tech, get your suspension done, get your suspension cleaned um, and serviced. Those guys do it better than anybody else. And uh, let's not forget uh, MXD360, the website where you can win prizes and uh, get completely addicted to another version of Fantasy Motocross. Uh, go check that guys out there. Thanks for listening to part one. Now on to part two.